You found the Love Flight Podcast. I'm Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying Coach, and I've been helping nervous flyers since 1997. So in this podcast, you are going to find aviation experts, psychologists, coaches, enthusiasts, and people normal, just like you, who have overcome their fears. Welcome. So this week, we're joined by Michael Lawson from Sky People. Welcome, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And I've been, I've had the pleasure of seeing your amazing facilities, your training facilities. And uh, we just thought, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm really pleased that you're on to talk about a little bit about what you do, but also you've got a really interesting background yourself. And uh, I was particularly struck by that when I watched your presentation a few months ago. All the logos that you've worked for. (laughs) So, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Mike. Um, I'm pretty much the grim reaper of airlines. So I've I've worked (laughs) at all the airlines that have tended to go bankrupt over the past uh, 20 years. But, um, yeah, that's a good start. Um, I started off just over 20 years ago at BA um, City Express. So I was a little bit naive as an 18-year-old thinking, oh, I'm going to go and travel the world and go to work for British Airways. And I ended up working on the little propellered aircraft flying to the Isle of Man and back six times a day. Excellent. Um, but uh, as soon as I left there uh, after six months and joined a company called Fly Globespan, which was um, known at the time as Scotland's airline. But we were based in Manchester doing long call. After that, I went to... Um, where did I go? I went to Air Atlanta and was working over in Saudi Arabia on a Hajj contract for a few months mm-hmm. before moving on to Tor Air, which just had one aircraft based in Manchester doing flights for Olympic holidays, just back and forth to Greece. The nice charter summer flights. Um, before moving to Dubai, where I worked for Fly Dubai, um, flying all over the Middle East, some locations that you wouldn't necessarily choose to fly to. Um, but I left there then went to a company called Small Planet Airlines where I became a trainer and a base manager. Mm. Fantastic company to work for. We were based in Manchester, but we traveled all over the world because we were an ACMI airline. So we ended up um, changing our bases and living over in Cyprus and then moving over to do a project in India. Then went to a company called Premiera, which didn't last very long. Um, before I moved to Jet2 and was the cabin crew base manager down in Birmingham uh, for just over three years before moving to Sky People, where I've been ever since. And such word, this one's not going bankrupt. And I actually think that I've missed an airline out somewhere. I think so. Yeah. You weren't in Monarch as well, were you? Because you, you know, because if you're you know, guilty of bringing down airlines, you know, perhaps you could lump that one in as well. They were another amazing airline. Yeah. No, I wasn't at Monarch called Thomas Cook. Oh, right. Okay. So, you, you know, so there's still, there's still time. I mean, that's a lot of airlines. I mean, in the nicest possible way, you've been around a bit, haven't you? I am. I absolutely have. But I've been really, really lucky that it's given me so much experience and, you know, mm-hmm. really varied experience and flying with different sorts of passengers that you would, you know, I never, when I started flying at 18, that I think I'd be doing a Hajj contract and be based in Saudi Arabia and, and 
then based a, a month or two in the Dejima in the middle of a civil war in Chad. Um, but it's all experiences and all good fun if you've got the right crew. Yeah. And you go, oh, I just remembered SA Charles. I worked there as well. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I was quite impressed how easily you were able to rattle them all off because there's quite a few there. So, yeah, yeah. good. Well, that is a lot. There's a lot. So, a lot of, lot of airlines, but also a lot of different aircraft types from small propeller types right up to big jets. Yeah, I think um, I've pretty much covered them all from Dash A to the Embraer 145. 73, 75, 76, 74, 320. Um, haven't done the 330 though, or the 380, but um, who knows? In the mm. Yeah, still time. Yeah. Uh, so favorite or worst air- aircraft to fly on? Oh, it's got to be the Airbus. It's much more crew friendly than the Boeing. Mm. I can imagine now people going, oh, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. But uh, from, as a crew member, Airbus is definitely better it's more spacious yeah yeah i i thought that for the crew you mean or just for anybody yeah passengers and crew um mm. it's it's a nicer it, you've got more space in your galleys to work yeah well i've been on the 330 and the 380 i haven't worked to them but i've been on them with their uh, a lovely aircraft i like this and the 350 all, all the new ones i love you just and uh what's that long range one come out is that the neo i can't remember it's the the three fifty there yes nice really nice so a lot of experience you got Mike so that's really good yeah. so you're now at uh, Sky People tell us a little bit about your role and perhaps what Sky People do and so, take your time because this will be interesting or just yeah. than me banging on um, Sky People we're a cabin crew training organisation based in the UK although we do go all over the world. Our head office is in Manchester and our facilities in Manchester are world-class, which might sound a little bit biased because I obviously work for them, but they genuinely are some of the best facilities I've ever seen. And the reason for that is we are now owned by EDM, which is the world's leading manufacturer in civil and defense training devices. Mm. So whilst we're in one warehouse with these amazing machines and the slides and the fire rigs and the, the cabin and door trainers and they're actually made right next door to us so we we tend to go next door quite a lot and miser for, for new things um although i keep on asking for a swimming pool and i've not got that that just yet um yeah yeah um what we do then is we train all aspects of cabin crew training right from initial cabin crew training. So what we would call the cabin crew attestation, which is essentially a cabin crew member's license to fly. And Mm -hmm. every single cabin member who flies has to carry this license with them. From there, they would then progress to the operator's conversion and then the aircraft type conversion. So a training course really is split into three. You've got the initial attestation and your operator's conversion and your aircraft type. Once you have your attestation, it's valid for five years and you can take that to any other airline. So if you, for example, went and got your attestation at British Airways, you could in theory, if you left there, take your attestation with you and you wouldn't then have to do that part of the training again if you move to another. So so break that, could you mind breaking that down for the people who may not have you know, thought about it in those three chunks? What, what does each of those bits entail? Yeah, so your attestation is your is your basics. It's your 
um, entry level, if you like, into being cabin crew. So, so you would learn all the basics of um, passenger handling, what the parts are of an aircraft, what those parts do, how an aircraft flies. Then you will be introduced to aviation first aid and fire and smoke on board and what we call crew resource management, which is basically how people communicate on board an aircraft to make the journey as safe as possible. They would also look at the basics of emergency equipment on board and lots, uh, and they would also do their wet drills as well. So where we would take them to a swimming pool and chuck them in at the deep end and, and watch them climb into uh, a raft. But it, it's really fun uh, and engaging and interactive. Mm. And really, if you wanted to be cabin crew, getting your attestation would be the first step on the ladder. So what we see now is a, um, a real trend towards people getting their attestation before they apply for an airline. So some of the big airlines in the UK are now asking that you have the attestation before you apply for them. This is really following the trend within Europe. Most airlines within Europe will, or will ask you to have an attestation and um, before they apply for an airline. So that's really the first step on the ladder to be becoming so, free. So that's a, how long does that take? What sort of cost would that cut? What's its current cost? So for, for us, um, in our organization, the cost is £875. Mm. And there's lots of different ways that we do it. We either do it all classroom-based or we can divide it so we can reach more people. So we, although we're based in Manchester, essentially you could log on you know, in Glasgow, Edinburgh or, or further beyond and do five days online training in our virtual classroom. And then on the sixth day, you would travel to us in Manchester and you would do your final assessment your practical parts like um, so it's no small thing then is it and also you know i don't know what it costs in europe but i guess if it's more popular then you've got you can make it, it that goes one of two ways doesn't it with the cost it either gets cheaper or it gets more expensive because more people want it uh, that's you know if we talk about a thousand pounds that you would need to find to even be able to apply that's that shows commitment straight away doesn't it yeah it does um but the, the reason why it's becoming more popular with airlines is simply it's a cost saving to them. Mm. So if they don't have to train that initial part of the training course, they're saving six days of classroom costs, six days of instructor yeah, costs, yeah, yeah. and six days of salaries for everyone who is in that training course, which is why they would, well, some would much um, prefer that you already have that attestation because it takes away that initial mm. step. They also, know that everyone who's got the attestation has passed the attestation course mm. so they're not taking a risk of taking all these people on and then people start to yeah. fail in that initial part mm. of the course which comes with uh, a logistical nightmare for them because they already have them um counted in their head count towards their flying program and especially towards their summer program you know if you lose someone in there mm. it can Although it seems far-fetched, actually, you know, if you start to lose people during your initial training, you then have to start to consider, okay, do we need to put another training course on now? Yeah, yeah. What effects is that going to have on the wider operation? That's a good point. And I mean, if I just, you know, if I was bored, I had a week off from work and I just fancy doing one of those, could I do that as a, as a, you know, with no intention of becoming cabin crew, just thought for a bit of a laugh, a bit of an experience. I mean, I don't know what, I mean, I don't know how, 
sad you'd have to be to think this is a great way to spend a week off, but uh, could could I? You know, could anyone? Yeah, actually, you could. You could come and join us um, for six days, get your cabin crew at a station. If you are a bit of an aircraft geek or you're just wanting to know more into the world of, of what it takes to be crew, you could. However, it's not for the faint-hearted. There is a lot to learn. You would learn the basics of airline security, um, dangerous goods, all elements of the training course that we cover. So there is a lot of information and it's not a case of, oh, I come and do the course during the day and then I can watch, you know, I was going to say Emmerdale, but I think people watch Love Islands these days, don't they? <laughs> um, in the evening, you you would need to be studying the manual in the evening mm-hmm. in your course material in order to pass. Because the, the, the rate, pass rate is high, isn't it? I don't know what it is, it like 95% or 90% or something crazy, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I believe it's 90% um, we have for our exam pass rates, wow. which is high. However, for us, um, we do have fantastic instructors who are there every step of the way for people who are on the training course. Mm. So we have a very high success rate um, when it comes to having individuals on the training course. And we don't just say goodbye to people if they don't pass first time round. We, we do invite them back um, to, to sit the course again and give them that time in between to keep their manuals so they can really study to be able to come back on the course and um, be successful the second time around. So that's really your your first step on the ladder to becoming cabin crew. So essentially you could do that and you could do the six days with us. You've now got your flying license, but it still doesn't mean you can fly as cabin crew because what you would need to do now is get a job at an airline and then sit their aircraft convert them, um, their operator's conversion course. Now that is basically learning all about the that specific airline or operator's procedures, how they do things. Yeah, every airline is is different. Um, so, to give you an example, without trying to scare anyone, if we had to evacuate an aircraft, one airline might shout "evacuate, evacuate." Another airline might shout "unfasten your seatbelts, come with me." There's lots of small changes within a manual, and each airline, as I say, is different. And the crew member uh, would have to learn those differences, the specifics yeah. for that airline. Yeah. Then once you've passed that, you would then have to go on to your aircraft type training. So whether that's a 320 or an A380 or an Embraer. And then you would have exams to pass as, uh, mm. pass as well. If you put the training course back to back, it can be anything from three weeks to four weeks. And then... Um, again, depending on the airline, you would have customer service training in, on that. Some airlines, such as ACMI carriers, um, don't necessarily have customer service training at the end of it because they would do flights on behalf of other carriers. Right. Other airlines, uh, your full service, your flight carrier airlines, you would maybe talk in two weeks training just for customer service. Mm. So um, that's where your your training course starts to get longer and longer. Yeah. But you know, training courses are really good fun when it when it comes to being cabin crew. Usually, weirder training. Well, yeah, <laughs> so. you've been through about twelve of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a little bit of what we do. We deliver cabin crew training courses, um, but what we also do, and what we're really passionate about doing, is developing 
people and individuals um, in businesses um, right across different sectors. So we would go into an, an operator and we would look at their procedures and we would advise them as consultants on how they can improve that. Um, we have a fantastic learning and development team as well. Um, and Emily, our learning and development manager, would go in and be able to look at how we would how we engage with the employees and uh, and upskill them on on any skill gaps that, that they might have. And um, we're doing a, amazing work at the minute with focused on Generation Z, how we engage them in the workplace, how we onboard them. Um, you will all have heard everyone say kids these days, and we I think we've all said it. But actually, what we do is we look at how we need to change to adapt to the new generations that are coming into the workforce without forgetting the older generations that are already there. How do we bring them together mm -hmm. so that we really work collaboratively? I can't say that word, but you know what I mean. I don't and, <laughs> yeah, I can never say specific, specific that specifically. <laughs> um, so we all work um, united uh, uh, as one team. Um, so that's a, another aspect of what we do. We're also a um, registered security training organization. We then train, train other people to be trainers. Um, and we do that for lots of different subjects. As so, well. so just before we go into that, the, the security side of it, what sort of stuff, without you know giving away the shot, what, do you, what sort of stuff do you mean by that? So for security, in the UK, you have to have um, a SIN number. So you have to be registered as a, a security instructor. So every time someone has a security course, they will be assigned um, a number, which is registered back to you. So they would always, the, the Department for Transport would always know who that person has been trained by because it would be your SIN number that would right. be next to that. And we don't issue SIN numbers that's way above us, that's Department for Transport level. Um, but we help people get there and, and we del deliver security courses for other operators. Mm. Um, we also um, train other sorts of instructors. So we do first aid and um, we train instructors to deliver first aid and through resource management um, as well. Then we also go right into airlines at the initial startup phase. If um, the, you know, there's a, there's one carrier in the Middle East uh, where when it was nothing but an idea on a piece of paper, we flew over. And I say we, I don't mean me at all. It's uh, other people in the team. They flew over and help them with their initial idea and their in initial startup, writing the manuals for them to get be able to become operational. Sent over a team of our own managers to manage their cabin crew yeah. and sent over some of our instructors to work as cabin crew for the airline. We then started to recruit locally and we then started to step away as we got their local uh, staff up to a standard that we was, was happy with until we were able to completely step away from the operation um, and then to carry on. Very good. Just so it, it's, it's one of our biggest success stories. It, it's um, still flying. Uh, to this day, uh, and it's it's going from strength to strength. Yeah, you can tell I wasn't involved in that project. It's still going. It's still flying. Um, I wasn't thinking that at all. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let him near it. Yeah. Um, and we also go into airlines um, and design their training courses, write their manuals, and then we deliver the the training for them as well. 
that's Jeez. really just a little bit of what yeah. we do. We also work with universities and colleges. We do mm-hmm. guest speaking in lots of different educational establishments. And we also mentor some students that um, are with Manchester Metropolitan University, yeah. have a very close relationship with them. And that is all about bringing them into the industry and just guiding them in the right direction for whatever career uh, they mm-hmm. want to go in. But for us at Sky People, what's really important is our vision is to be the the leader when it comes to training, uh, recruitment, and specialist, re- and, and be a special resource within aviation. So to do that, we have to make sure we are at the top of our game. So we we really do have a fantastic team of managers, and they travel to different con- conferences. Um, our business development manager Claire and Emily Allen, development manager, have just come back from. Uh, Vietnam, where they delivered a speech on Generation Z and incorporating the new digital learners into the workforce. Yeah. And we were also invited over to Portugal to um, give a give a talk there. And we also ex- um, go to lots of companies. We go to Orlando as well. So um, I can't remember what, what that one's called, so forgive me, but we also right. yeah. um, go to that one. So... Um, we've also been invited to IQ's working group to put manuals together for digital learning for airlines all over the world. So we really are, you know, leading in the industry. You are quite for what we do. I knew some of that stuff. I didn't know all the rest of it. That's impressive. I didn't know you did security. I knew you did some. I know you did human factors, and I knew. I knew obviously we've. Um, What's if do you have a particular specialism now? Because I know you're in charge of lots of it, but do you do you still get stuck in the classroom if you can, or do you avoid them? Yeah, <laughs> um, not enough of people. The the great thing about all of us is we we have a team of five managers, and we all look after our own individual airline clients. So um, I look after an airline called West Atlantic and they don't transport passengers, they transport horses. So it's a really Absolutely. interesting, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting operation and slightly different um, yeah. to, you, to your normal scheduled um, operator. Um, and I look after a, a couple of other passenger airlines as well. Um, and then as part of my job is I will look after the colleges and universities and manage our facility mm-hmm. up in Manchester. Then, as I've already mentioned, Claire and Emily, they also have their own airline um, clients that they look after, yeah. as well as then putting together new courses and seeking new opportunities for us. We have a, a, a really, really clever lady called um, Sarah, who's based down south, who looks after all compliance, who, who you could ask her anything, and she knows it along with Kim. Mm-hmm. And our head of training, Katie is just the the font of all knowledge. You know, um, there's nothing when it comes to aviation or education that Mm. she doesn't know. And we're all constantly learning or we're constantly messaging each other and sending each other links and saying, I think you'll really find this interesting or you need to have a look at this or have a look at what this airline's doing. How can we, um, Mm. you know, Borrow that idea if you like and incorporate it into Still our with pride, we say. Still with pride. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that is how we keep on top of our game at all times. Mm. Well, I must admit, I was very impressed when I went around your facilities. I've been there twice now. And the matter, because you've got pretty much every door that you could ever have to open. 
and they all work. They all make the noises. And uh, I just, that's really, really super impressive. I mean, you are like a showroom for next door, let's be honest, but it's it's a fabulous, fabulous facility. And um, I suppose normal humans can come and visit, can't they, just for a majority. Do you do anything like that? Like people just still want to do an experience day or something? Um, watch this space. On okay. There is talk of it. And um, if anyone is interested, they can have a look at our website, which is, Sky people training and um, just Google it. It'll take you to our, to our website and we will this summer, we do have plans for something like that this summer. So yeah, just keep an eye out. I think it'd be amazing. Cause you've got, so this place has got like an aircraft mock-up. It's got, uh, you know, which holds quite a few pieces. It's actually configured the same as an aircraft. So you can do lots of training in there. It's really realistic. And we've also got, um, can't remember how many doors you've got, but I remember seeing at least 10, maybe 12. I've all down this, you've got like a whole sort of corridor of them. You can just jump and open all these different doors and also the window ones, which I'd never had a go at opening before I came to your place because it's just not something you can really practice, you know, but seeing them there is amazing. And the window ones are ones above the, you know, the sort of like some aircraft type, you have them sort of halfway down. You've got these little funny pulley out ones and they, yeah, it's just, just impressive stuff. Yeah, we are really lucky. This is, I mean, through my previous jobs and traveling around constantly doing lots of training all over Europe, this is definitely the best facility I have ever worked in. And that is simply because we're part of EDM, so we have the backing of them. And if anything goes wrong, we literally grab an engineer and they fix it within two minutes. And it's, yeah. it's very rare that that happens because we have the engineers on site everything is kept to a very high standard. But um, it's interesting because, as you said, they do use it as a showroom. So if uh, an airline puts um, an order in for a mock-up, they do tend to store them here in the warehouse for, for a little bit. And it's always nice to go and have a nosy and see what they're doing in that store and what airline um, clients have, have come in, which is great for us because they use this as a showroom we meet clients from all over the world and lots of different airlines. So recently we've had um, people visit us. In, in fact, just in the last seven days, we've had people from India who've come in and met us, people from Iceland and people from America. So we, it's great that you get to have those conversations of what are they struggling with at the moment or what are, they, what are their challenges within the industry. And then we go away and we have a lot of brainstorm and we come up with a solution as to how we can help them overcome that. Yeah. Where do you think you'll end up in terms of as a business? Because you've, to my mind, I feel like you've grown really quickly in in the sort of time that you've been going. But you know, maybe it doesn't feel like that when you're in it. But to, from looking outside in, it looks like you've had really good success so far. So I wonder what next, you know. Well, Sky People started in 2013, and it was the idea of three people, um, Sean, Colette, and Katie. And they wanted to start an organization to offer the cabin crew attestation courses for people who wanted to break into the industry. They were extremely successful. And by 2018, with about five years, they were then delivering the cabin crew attestation course to 3,000 people a year. They then got secured a contract with um, a huge airline in the UK. Uh, not, <laughs> not giving names away. Um, mm, and, that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, they're very Heathrow centric. Oh, and oh, oh, think. they did, um, was doing the attestation courses for all new entrants uh, mm. for that particular airline. Then started to offer cabin crew apprenticeships as well, which was pretty much unheard of in the industry until mm. we started to do it. And we're really eager to start offering that again in the in the near future. So the only reason we stopped doing it, for like most people, COVID hit, airlines stopped recruiting, and we just fell off the register to be able to offer uh, the apprenticeships. However, we've recently put our application in to offer yeah. that again. So yeah. we'll be looking for an airline to work with and um, to offer that very shortly. Yeah, great idea. They're talking about doing that for pilots as well, aren't they? I don't know if they did it or not with it. So I know it's definitely mooted the idea of some sort of apprenticeship to trying to remove the kind of the barrier to get in because it's so expensive to get started as a pilot, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Jetsu have run a, a successful apprenticeship scheme for years. So uh, I know Jetsu offer one. Um, TUI also offer a scheme for pilots. I'm not sure if it's an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um, Aer Lingus do a fantastic scheme for pilots and, and they were running a scheme back in June. Um, they were really trying to encourage females into the flight deck. Yeah. It was so successful that they closed the application within a few days because they got so many wow. applications uh, to join them. Now, the Aer Lingus scheme is slightly different in that if you are successful, they send you to the south of Spain for a year to do all of your training before you come back and base in Dublin and and finish off your training as a, a second officer. So there's lots of skills out there. Um, what we're really aware of at the moment, there was a report done by CAE um, recruitment back in July, and they really focused on the workforce gap over the next 10 years. Mm. So we, just in Europe alone, in the next... 10 years, we need 122,000 cabin crew. That is a a lot of crew to find, uh, and it was 44,000 captains as well. Wow. So industry really has to to work hard to attract people uh, and and get new talent. So again, that's something that we're constantly looking at, how we can engage uh, colleges and universities to bring those really skilled, um, fresh mindset, Gen Zers and um, into the industry because because really that's what we want. Yeah, it, it, it's who will who will be the trainers of the future, and uh, where do we have to go from this point forward? Um, but that's more. Maybe you should invite Emily on because Emily, uh, Emily is perfect. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, to, do, to, to, to describe that. We've got Claire coming on in a few weeks' time to talk about human factors training. Um, I think that's really interesting about the recruitment thing, and also since the all the age nonsense has been dropped for a lot of careers. It's meant that it's opened it up for people who have perhaps, you know, done done the kids side of things, you know, and then they're sort of kicking around and going, oh, what do I do now? You know, so I know a few people in their 50s have joined up as cabin crew and I, they love it. You know, it's just brilliant, you know. Yeah. When I, I mean, joined, you had to be, you couldn't be over 28. Yeah. When I joined, like, it's just ridiculous, isn't it, now when you think about it? Well, that was... That was the law then, you know? Yeah, well, EasyJet have really been the leaders when it comes to appealing to the empty nesters, as you as you know, we would call them. And all of their job adverts have been for aiming at the more mature cabin crew. On the opposite end of that scale is Ryanair, who are 
amazing at what they do when it comes to social media and TikTok um, and Instagram and how they really appeal mm. to, you know, the, the ticky talkers as we call them, you know, not people like me who don't have a clue when it comes to social media, um, but they, they really do aim at the, the younger yeah. end of um, the recruitment. Empty nesters, ticky talkers. I mean, it's just. I mean, they're not called ticky talkers. It's just what I call. Yeah, that's all right. It's all yeah, because right. I'm not down with the kids. No, no, probably not. I mean, I mean, I I wouldn't know what the current, you know, how you're supposed to address that. But you know, I'll I'll, I'll accept that as a definition for that going forward. So, a lot of people when they listen to this would be thinking, "Wow, that's a, quite a lot," and probably open people's minds to some of the stuff that's available and also um, some of the training that people go through, the level of the training that people go through. So from your experience of all those airlines and all those different aircraft types and destinations and all sorts of work and stuff that you see now as being a trainer for a while, what sort of messages would you say to people who are nervous flyers and perhaps because this could be the first podcast they find and they go, oh, Sky people, they sound like the ones for me. And then this, so this is their message of hope. No, no, no pressure, Mike. Really, really simple. Tell the crew. So if you're nervous of flying, just tell your cabin crew. Cabin crew are trained. Um, they know the aircraft inside out. They know their procedures inside out. And they would have dealt with a hundred people before you are in the same position. So don't ever feel like you're being a burden or that you're being silly to say, excuse me, I'm really nervous of flying because they would rather know so that they can help you. Cabin crew are empathetic by nature. So they, they would want to help and, and reach out. What I remember from being crew is when, you know, for example, every aircraft sounds a little bit different. Every aircraft has its own characteristics. It might even be the, you know, two seven three sevens can sound completely different mm. depending on, on how they're configured. If you're nervous, don't be afraid to ask the cabin crew, what was that noise? Or, uh, you know, I don't quite like this. And the crew will explain, Yeah, you, you know, there's never been a time where I've said, you know, God, how stupid are you asking me that? You know, I've we always take the time to explain to passengers what's going on um, and it then gives us an opportunity to come and check in on that passenger throughout the flight whether it's just a two hours to Malaga or it's 13 hours down to Cape Town you know we we've got the time that we'll, we'll come and spend with the passenger so my my top tip is always let you crew now when you were flying and also you know cool there's different places you've been what would you say were the main things that triggered people's nerves your experience takeoff would would be the main one mm. and the noises that people hear on takeoff so what might sound alarming to you i've probably heard it a thousand times before and, and wouldn't bat an eyelid so for example the noise of the wheels going up the sound of the flaps um retracting on the wings are all perfectly normal but the hydraulics can make it sound um mm. you know uh you know, it can shock people really. And depending where you sit on the aircraft as well, will give you different noises. So if you're sat in row one, you're not going to hear the undercarriage go down at row 15 or, or row 25. So if you've flown a couple of times and all of a sudden you're hearing noises that you didn't hear on your first flight, 
it's probably just because you're sat in a different area yes. of the plane. It doesn't necessarily mean that that noise is not meant to to be there. Mm. Um, you know, and and actually, I remember as crew when you would you'd hear that click of the undercarriage coming down when you've done a long flight back across the Atlantic, and you'd think, oh, thank God I've heard that noise an hour. I'm going to be in bed. Whereas to a nervous passenger, they will be thinking, oh my God, what's that noise? But for me, it's a sign that I'm home. So, you know, ask a crew member what the noises are and, and let them put your mind at ease. Yeah, no, that's very good. Because occasionally people say, because we, we often say that one, you know, like do, do let them know, but the occasionally just very 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 occasionally they say oh, i told the cabin crew and they they didn't care and they didn't give a stuff and i said well thankfully that's a rarity and you know thinking about the thousands of people you've trained would you agree with me on that absolutely and um, as i say crew are caring by nature and when we do recruitment for airlines that you know we get a lot of applications but not everyone gets through we are very selective we look for people, people, yeah. Um, yeah. and when we when we do our recruitment for ourselves for our own instructors, we keep it really simple. We use the word nice. So sometimes we we don't, you know, whilst we love everyone to be skilled, we like to take people on and give them the skills they need to be able to deliver the training for us. But what we're really looking for is nice. Because you can't teach people or train. I was going to ask you, what's your theory? Can you teach niceness? Yeah, no, it's it, you know, it's it's in part of their personality, and, and you can't change the personality. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we it's really simple to work for Sky people to be one of our instructors. You just simply have to be nice, and it works well for us. That is how we've got so many clients across the UK, Europe, yeah. um, and engage with with all these different sectors. So that's what we look for. And when we do recruitment on behalf of other airlines, we take that philosophy with us. And even when we're faced with getting an X amount of people through the door to train, we still won't just take anybody on. You know, we, we, we need to make sure that they fit. And just so that when you do get on board, you have that level of customer service, yeah. that level of safety, because you know it would look, it wouldn't look great on Sky people if we did recruitment and we took just anyone on and threw them on board an aircraft and, you know, they wasn't getting that level of customer service or there wasn't that standard there. And that goes for every single airline out there, um, which is why they are so safe. We are also one of the industries which are so highly regulated. If we fly within um, Europe, we're answerable to the Department of Transport and the CAA and also... Um, SAFA within Europe, you would come on board and inspect aircraft, check the documentation of the crew, check the crew are, um, have recency in terms of their training, whether that be their operator's conversion and the aircraft type. Cabin crew do training courses every year um, to keep them fresh. They've got to pass exams every year as well. And every single time they go into work, they have to pass a pre-flight briefing so they would have a discussion about what they would do in cer certain situations on board the aircraft so they're always well prepared to help and assist anybody lovely that is and you'd and presumably the same in your mind that short haul versus long haul no difference 
absolutely no different, no different at all. The only difference is you've probably got two aisles, not one, um, and, a, and a slightly bigger team, but everyone is trained to the same standard. Yeah, because I think some people will get this thing about this perception of low cost uh, means like they're going to cut corners somewhere, but that's, that's definitely not the case. You see that, don't you? Yeah, not the case at all. Um, as I say, you know, the Department for Transport, the CAA, inspect airlines all the time and make sure they're compliant. Before an airline even starts to train cabin crew, they have to send all their manuals and their training material to the CAA to pass an inspection and to make sure that they're compliant, first of all, with the regulations. Um, so it, it doesn't matter if you're a long-haul, full-service airline, or you're flying from Manchester to Blackpool, she's got to go through the same regulations. Amazing. Mike Lawson, thank you so much. That was really, really good. And uh, can you believe it's been like 40 minutes? It's just like whizzed by for me. I hope it has for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't show up, do I? That's a problem. But no, it's right. No, it's, like, it's, it's great. And it's really, really helpful for people to see that, you know, that what the industries are out there training people and see even though you're not an airline yourself you're still bound by the same rules and you're there to sort of uphold the same level of standards or even nudge it along a bit and that you're working globally and you've got this huge vision i think it's just brilliant you know mike thanks so much for that it was really great and um yeah look forward to continuing to work with you and perhaps we'll i'm going to talk to claire soon and then you mentioned emily so you know it's just get the whole team on Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And I am delighted to reveal that we will be using the Sky People facilities for our course in Manchester on the 13th of April. That's the 13th of April. That's going to be available on the website ASAP. And you'll be able to book onto the course, have a full day with Mike and this team. But all of us will be there, Captain Steve and Sarah and John and Susan and Peter and so, uh, yeah, come and join us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Love Fly podcast. I hope you're finding it helpful with your fear of flying. Now, if you do need some extra tailored help, you can go to our website, lovefly.co.uk and click on the courses button. You'll find more help there, such as our 30-day program and our on-demand webinar. Thanks again. See you next time.